I, I would I would start there, living below your means, and just telling them the consequences of everything they spend. Like if you spend four dollars every day on a Starbucks coffee, you know, in thirty years of doing that, you know, you could create sixty thousand dollars of of money at a you know a six seven percent interest rate. So it's it's just it's. Kids don't get that. They, I was never spoken about it in my house as a, as a kid. Money was never spoken about. And I was a finance major as well. And none of the courses that I took ever had anything to do with personal financial management. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have Eric Geyer here with me. He is the CEO of Pure Assurance. Uh, which is an advising business owners and entrepreneurs on the implementation of life insurance as a retirement vehicle and custom designed healthcare solutions. Uh, Eric was 25 years on Wall Street, which I'm going to jump into here in a little bit as a financial professional uh, with a lifelong goal of helping people with their personal finance and retirement plans. Uh, but it got the itch like many of us do to become an entrepreneur and uh, has uh, found out a lot of things about uh, personal finance, privatized banking, wealth advisement, entrepreneurship, and all those kinds of fun things, which puts him right in the wheelhouse for money talkers. So with that, uh, welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you, Cody. Pleasure to be here. Well, I, uh, I want to start off the show with you telling us a story from your Wall Street days. I want to hear, <laughs> I want to hear a good one from uh, some of the things that you've been able to see and kind of pull that curtain back for us, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, so I graduated from college uh, in way back in 93, and I got a job for this broker, brokerage firm in the accounting area. Um, and I walked into the CEO's office like a week after I started, and I said, I said, get a good look at me because, because I'm going to be um, at one of the highest levels of this company one day. And <laughs> um, I guess he, he, he smiled and he, and he uh, you know, thank you. It was, you know, nice to meet you kind of thing. And then we met in the elevator, you know, like a year later. And he's like, so how are things going? And I said, I got to that spot. And in only, you know, a year later, and he's like, you know, he was really, really surprised. I got to the trading desk, which I always wanted to be on. Uh, and, um, you know, from there, my career just kind of went, um, you know, went meteoric for, for, for a while. And uh, I got to work in New York and Hong Kong. Um, I spent some stints in London and Tokyo. Uh, so it was, um, it was a really great, great ride. And uh, I got to cover 
or, or invest on behalf of some of the largest asset managers in the world. Uh, those are really interesting people with, with interesting stories as well. So um, yeah, I mean, it was a great experience. It was an experience that a lot of people don't have. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. So when, like, you know, I watch a lot of CNBC and I see yours is on the background. So I, uh, but I love, I love when you get a, a CEO or someone who's actually being candid. Most of the time it's, you know, they've mm -hmm. got their CEO speak and, you know, uh, spin on everything's positive and that kind of stuff. And I was wondering if you kind of, there's big money managers, like, what is it really like behind the scenes when they, like, when you're trying to get them, I guess, to authorize a purchase into an investment, like how detailed are they really? Because they don't, they don't really get into the weeds, obviously, on TV. It doesn't make for good TV. But are they uh, are they just, you know, the sharpest pens around? Or what would you, how would you describe that? I think they're incredibly nervous people. They're chasing yeah. returns. They're, you know, they're constantly having to satisfy clients' expectations. Um, it's, it's, it's a position that I would not want to be in. I have a friend who runs a hedge fund. And it's constant, constant. Um, you know, if, if their quarterly performance was down, uh, even though that the other three quarters were up, you know, the, what's going on, you know, and maybe I need to pull my money out and, you know, all this other stuff. It's, it's, it's brutal. <laughs> Just on a constant knife's edge, right? Yeah, it is. It's, it's not a job I would want. As rich as they are, it is not a, not a job that I would want. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people see it from that way. You know, I think they think, oh, these guys make all this money and their life's great. I imagine that they're just stressed <laughs> constantly. Like the happiest, the happiest fund managers are the ones who are chairman emeritus of the funds that they started, and then there's other people who are um, who are running the firm. Yeah, now they get <laughs> to yell at them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's been, that's been my experience. <laughs> Once you get on the other side of the desk, it's probably uh, a great day because getting yeah. to that other side of the desk has not happened to a lot of people. And it's you know? so complicated. Life becomes so complicated when you get to those levels too. So when they're looking at investments and you uh, are pitching investments and those kinds of things, like, can you kind of walk us through like how, how do you assess that? So we just look through our areas of expertise and um, we put on their hat when we talk to them about it. Like if you have, if you have a client who's a value investor, um, you know, you would kind of show things that, um, that would appeal to their, um, to their style. Value investors, you know, low transaction costs, they're not flipping like crazy, they're holding it for a long time. So, so things like, like, um, yeah, like transaction costs mean a lot. Um, market impact means a lot. Uh, there's, there's, we, we had a transaction analysis, you know, analyst team that specialized in that, but, you know, that was always a big part of every conversation. They always wanted to make sure that we were their partner, uh, in, in, um, helping them achieve their, um, their investment goals. And so um, when you talk about different investors and, and, and investing style, um, I know it comes down to risk tolerance a lot, but like if you were to give advice um, to a parent listening to the show right now about talking with their kids, what kind of investment advice would you give them to be able to talk to their kids about it? 
So the first advice I would give would be to live under your means. <laughs> and that's, that's the most important thing. Don't get caught up in credit card debt. Don't leverage where you can't um, control the, um, you know, control the strings. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about privatized banking. That's a big part of it. But um, yeah, I, I, would, I would start there, living below your means and just telling them the consequences of everything they spend. Like if you spend $4 every day on a Starbucks coffee, you know, in 30 years of doing that, you know, you could create $60,000 of, of money at a, you know, a six, 7% interest rate. So it's, it's just, it's, kids don't get that. They, I was never spoken about it in my house as a, as a kid. Money was never spoken about. And I was a finance major as well. And none of the courses that I took ever had anything to do with personal financial management. I, I got out of college as a finance major, became a mortgage broker and didn't know what a mortgage was. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what, what are we doing here? You know what so I mean? What does that tell you? Is yeah. it better to go to college or get a job right after, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right after and go to college at night? I, yeah, I know. Well, I don't want to get started on student loan debt because it's insane. But um, <laughs> I was, uh, I, I, why do you think that we don't teach about these things in school? I think that the American economy um, is um, prioritizes consumerism. And the more people know, the more powerful they are. So it's better, I think, to keep them in the dark about things and just kind of let advertising do what it does best. I think they, I, I agree. I don't, I, I think it was originally designed, um, you know, to produce workers. And that's what school is, right? They're, 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 it's a set, set of hours, you're told when you can do what, and then you're designed to go and then come yeah. back and then you're done, right? And then that's like a training ground for it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel that my education in school at all prepared me for my first job out of school. I don't, I don't. I, I have to agree with you. Um, you know, I don't want to discourage people to go into college, especially, I, I think that there's, there's a reason to go to college and that reason would be to learn a specific skill trade, you know, yeah. if you're going to go be a veterinarian. I don't really want you just coming out of high school and shooting shots into dogs, you know, like right. I want, you know, that part of it, but like, you know, communications degrees or, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, I think you'd be better served four years in a communications field than you would uh, for, you know, four years of schooling that doesn't really teach you how anything really works. So a lot of the guys that I work with who are from England when I was in Hong Kong, none of them went to college. They all started out in like the back office of broker dealers and they all made a ton of money. Yeah. And they just had really good personality skills and they bonded well with people. If you can bond well with people, you've solved 90% of the, of, of the problem, right? Uh, it's, it, it's all relationships. If, you know, people like to do business um, with people who remind them of them, mm. right? Not just people they like. So if you have the relationship piece down, the other stuff, the technical stuff is easy. Yeah. You know what? I would agree with you hundred percent. The technical, I, I, I think the, the driving factor or the attitude is so much more important uh, yeah. than the knowledge of how to do something. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah. We, we had a big change when I had about 110 employees and we had a big change in our turnover rates. When I started having, asking people, uh, you know, three things, like I had them commit to, I'm like, do you want the job? You know, do you want the job? Like a lot of people come in and interview for jobs and you're like, do you want the job? And they're like, not really. Well, if you, I just asked them and a lot of people were very honest about it. They're like, no, I'm just here. Cause I kind of need to, or, you know, my wife wants me to go out and look at a job. I don't really want to do this. You know, I'm going to do this job until I find something else. And I'm like, all right, well, I appreciate you. You know? So, and I'm like, well, will you find something to do if no one tells you what to do? Good question. Right. And they would be like, yeah. And everybody's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, did you do that at your last job? And they're like, nah, yeah, somewhat. And I'm like, then you didn't, you know? And I'm like, right. so I want you to do that here. And if you're going to commit to that. And then the last thing is, can you raise your hand when you make a mistake? Right. Will you explain, you know, will you hide the mistake or will you raise your hand? Because it's going to come up at some point. Yeah. You're either going to, you know, you're either going to be seen as unreliable and you're going to get phased out anyway. Or if you say, Hey man, I made a mistake. Like, what do I need to learn from this? Yeah. Right. And, and when, when I asked those questions and I started hiring people that way, they stuck a lot more. Right. It was like, I don't know. It was, it was just a completely different mindset, but exactly what you're talking about. Like it's really was more in the mindset. I'm like, I can teach you how to do any of the stuff we need you to do here. Yeah. You'll pick it up in like a day. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to be the, you know, the number one, you know, <laughs> dishwasher from the other, from the other restaurant. Like I would rather have you have a much better attitude committed to helping the company committed to be in here and committed to make yourself better, you know? Yep. And, Just uh, take hunger, right? You want somebody yeah. who's hungry and who's passionate, who needs the job and everything else you can, uh, you can teach. So let's switch gears here. Let's talk about, cause you've gone into, uh, you, you left wall street and then gone on, and gone on an entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. And so tell me what you're doing now and, and what made you make that decision? So I wanted to have an impact on a more personal level. Wall street didn't really do that for me. Um, I was talking to money managers and traders at money management firms. And while everybody takes their job seriously, if it's, it's not your money, right? Mm -hmm. So people the numbers are, are so big, right? What's that? And the numbers are so big. So big. I'm, I'm sure you just get like uh, immune to it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like <laughs> yeah, you're dealing with numbers that are so big. Um, so I, I said to myself, I'm like, what area is really inefficient in this country where I can, um, you know, where I can make more efficient, which is what I did on wall street in, in the electronic electronic trading arena and health insurance for small business owners was that thing that came on my radar. So I got, um, I, I created a relationship with a 1200 member franchise organization and I got to, I, I became their official health coverage partner for all of their franchisees. Um, and small business owners, entrepreneurs, freelancers, independent contractors, whatever, they all have a unique problem with health, with health insurance, right? They either have to have a spouse who has group plan that they can jump on, or they have to buy it off the exchange. But there are other options, um, private options outside of that, that not a lot of uh, independents know about that are a fraction of the cost of traditional health insurance plans that provide the kind of asset protection that you need for health insurance. I mean, that, that's the first thing that anybody should go into when they're evaluating a health insurance plan is, 
what is, how is this going to protect my assets, right? Um, all the other stuff is easy, but you know, um, I, I, I remember one of the first calls I got on with a potential client um, hung up on me because uh, the coverage didn't cover the flu vaccine. And, you know, I'm saying to her, I'm like, you're worried about a $40 vaccine. Um, you're not asking me the question, what happens if I'm in the hospital for six, for six months? That's the question you should be asking. But people are like, well, I never go to the doctor, so I don't really need anything. Okay. I, you know, it's, it's, it, it, so, there's so a, walk me through though, on that part where you said you, your, your biggest question should be, how do you protect your assets with your health insurance? Like what, yeah. what is that? That that's probably going to catch some people off guard. that are listening that you went through it quickly, but what do you mean by that? So you don't want to go bankrupt in the event of a huge bill. Easy. I mean, you, you know, hospitals are very, very expensive. And if you're yeah. in the hospital, you know, for a month, let's just say you, you're the healthiest person on earth, but you get clipped by a car, you're in a major accident, and the other person doesn't have insurance or something, whatever. Um, you could be in the hospital for a month, could cost hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars um, in, in, in claims. I mean, how are you going to address that if you don't have the right kind of insurance? So I had an employee who refused our health insurance got in an accident on my property and got a broken leg and it was, the bill was $650,000. And they, we had, and then my general liability had to cover it and they just limited it out at a million and walked. And I'm like, for a broken leg, a million dollars. I don't, that's crazy. And then I, then my insurance went up $20,000 a year. <laughs> that's crazy. I've, I've <laughs> 650 grand for a broken leg. I just... yeah. It was a month. She was in the, she was in the hospital for a month with a broken leg. And then that was the bill that came out because they knew she didn't have insurance. So they were just going to write it off. I think. Yeah. I mean, what, yeah. what do you do? Right. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a real, it's a real problem. It's crazy. Um, so what kind of solutions, like what, when you say there's a small business owner, so I'm a small business owner, right? I own three businesses actually. Um, they're LLCs, but for all intents and purposes, I'm a sole proprietor, except for on one of them, I got two employees, but, um, you know, someone like me, like I really have, I I don't have any other options than the exchange for, in my mind, uh, a lot of times, or I've looked into like, you know, like the pooled, insurance thing i don't really understand it very well though like there was like a i remember there was like a like a christian insurance option or something and like you're putting money in but it's kind of like a pool of money for everybody but i didn't really i I didn't feel comfortable enough like i didn't understand enough and that's like anything else we always wait to the last minute to do all this stuff anyway so yeah um those are really dangerous because and a lot of people are in those and it's better than nothing but it's not insurance that was kind of my that was kind of my understanding on it when I was reading it. That was my, that was my, my, my ears perked up on it, you know? Yeah. Because there's no, they're not regulated by any, any sort of insurance laws or banking laws. Um, so, you know, you could be in the hospital for a month with that $650,000 bill. They could decide that they want to pay it, that they don't want to pay it, or they only want to pay a portion of it. And guess what? Nobody, nobody's going to say anything because, oh, well, it's, it's not insurance. So, Yeah, but I mean, there are underwritten products. So okay. you do have to be relatively healthy that do cost a fraction of the cost of these exchange um, plans. Um, and those are regulated, like regular insurance type things yeah. where it's not yeah. like a, yeah. 
Yeah, it's not like a share. It's real insurance. Yep. And so how, how do they keep the cost so much lower? Because they know that people who are relatively healthy don't use insurance that much. Yeah. And they calculate the fact that, you know, maybe they'll go X amount of times a year. And the chances are that they're, you know, over time, they're, they're you know, they'll probably go maybe once a year, or once every two years or something. And the rest is profit. Business owners don't go to the doctor that much. You're, they're yeah. usually pretty healthy and they don't have, it takes time out of the day when they could be building their business. So they really, <laughs> they can't be bothered unless they have a wife that tells them, go right now. They don't really go. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> That's about right. You'd have to kick me dragging and screaming out of here to yeah. go there. You know, like yeah. there was years I, and then, you know, and you're just sitting there going, man, I paid whatever, $1,800 a month. And I have been to the doctor twice, you know, and it's like, what are we I doing? Have, I have a client up in Jacksonville who's a family of four paying 3,100 bucks on a, on a Florida blue plan. And I got him down to a thousand and he couldn't be happier. Yeah. I mean, think about it. like, if you're a small business owner, that's real money that's going out of your pocket every month that you can be using for growing your business. Well, you know, what's kind of funny, you mentioned like the flu shot thing, like that $3,100 plan, has got a free flu shot in it. And people are like, yeah. oh, okay, good. Like, no, right. you could be saving $2,100 a month and get as many flu shots as you want. Like I get 40 bucks a piece. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's if you even remember to go, right? So, yeah. right. Exactly. you know, it's, uh, that's, that's funny. And so how, how do you tie this in? Um, Cause I know there was another part that would kind of talked about in your intro with the uh, with the privatized banking. Is that the same kind of thing when you're talking about privatized banking and privatized insurance? Yeah, so, so that, that moves it over to a life insurance conversation. Okay. And in the way that I got life insurance um, into, uh, into the arsenal was that it, it was basically um, driven by client demand. Um, we like the asset, we, we like what you're doing on the health insurance side. Let's now look at the life side. Right. And there's and what I love about life insurance is that people only really view it as a as, as a death benefit um, tool where they pass their, you know, the money tax free to the beneficiaries. But yeah. it has which, so many, you know, which is cool because you're like trying to protect your family. But I would say also it's it's a little doesn't benefit me. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, you know, like you're trying to leave something for somebody else. And I think yeah. that's kind of a funny conversation. I always kind of came in my head, you know, I have life insurance, I have all the stuff to protect my family, but yeah, it, it always, you know, it's a little hard of an investment piece because, you know, if I'm putting my money away, like I'd like to be able to use it later. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So cash value life insurance emphasizes the accumulation of cash when you take out the policy. So it's not as expensive as a policy with a high death benefit face, right? And when you build up that cash value, that's when the privatized banking thing comes in. That's when you can use that, leverage that cash value to send your kids to college so you don't have to take out student loans put the down payment on that piece of property that you want to buy for investment purposes, um, anything, pay for your daughter's wedding. It's while you're still earning interest on that money. That's where it becomes so interesting. And the, 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 like that, that's something that everybody does who has these kinds of policies. 
But the main pitch on this kind of life insurance is a bridge to retirement success. You might have social security, you might have another annuity. People don't realize social security is an annuity. That's why I say another annuity. Um, you may be lucky to have a pension if, if, if you have one. It may not get you where you wanna be and a life insurance policy with its tax, tax deferred um, growth, with its tax-free distributions and withdrawals and the tax-free transfer of wealth to the next generation. It, it, it's almost the perfect vehicle um, from a, a living benefit perspective as well as the death benefit perspective. So walk me through, is it, is it, are you doing basic, are you doing like interest rate arbitrage then? Are you, because no. you're, you're borrowing well, out of it, but you're getting the interest on the money still yeah. so that your borrowing costs are less than what you should be earning as a. Right. So, so not on purpose, but to your point, right. When you go to a bank and you put a thousand bucks in a CD, they're going to give you a half a percent interest and they're going to lend it. At, they're going to lend out 90% um, of it at four and a half percent or five. Yeah percent interest, right? Yeah. And they're making that four and a half percent arbitrage. Yes, you're doing that for yourself. You're borrowing the money, let's say at 5% and your rate of interest is at 7%. So you're making 2% on that money while you're using it for whatever it is you want to use it for. Yeah. And it's not completely gone. Exactly. Right. And you're, but you're paying it back, right? Yeah. You want to, you want to pay it back because that's how, that's how the, the system functions. Are they but, structured loans? Like when you borrow the money out, like is it a, a term loan of three years at XYZ rate? And, or is it, you want to pay it back as you decide to pay it back or how does that work? Yeah. It's a five, it's a 5% loan, but you could pay it back as you want to pay it back or you don't have to pay it back at all. And it gets deducted from the cash value of your policy. So that's how you take tax-free distributions as you're getting older. You take them out via policy loans. And then you do Got the, you. And then, and then as you pass, then that covers the, the loan that you've taken back out? Is that, then they pull yeah, out the, the cash value? It gets subtracted from the death benefit. Um, but like, if you need things like long-term care, which nobody budgets for, right? Yeah. You, you have a 50% chance of needing long-term care at some point in your life with people living, you know, 88 for a woman, 85 for the average for a man, um, you'll, you know, you can take a tax-free withdrawal of that money for long-term care. I mean, you know, that's one of the things like my buddy's grandma is 99 and um, she's been super healthy most of her life, but like she's in a, a home now um, just for, you know, those kind of purposes for long-term care. And I, I want to say it was like $12,000 a month. And it yep. wasn't, it's not the Ritz, you know what I mean? It, the, yeah. the cost of these places, and it's going to, I think it's, I think this is going to explode as the population is aging at, you know, retirement age of 12,000 people a day. Yeah. You know, as a baby boomer piece comes through, they're all, you know, relatively in their mid sixties, let's say they get to 85 and there's this huge population bubble of 85 year olds. Yeah. And if you're married, you have a 5% chance of living to age 100. So you have to prepare to age 100. And the, if you, the average cost right now of a nursing home today is $90,000. In 10 years, assuming a 3% annual inflation rate, that number goes up to $120,000. So you really, you really need to prepare. For yeah, and I, I actually see it being worse, way worse than that, because you're going to have capacity issues. And so yeah. the people with the most money are going to get the capacity. 
Yeah. Right. Like schools right now, like colleges are, you know, they've tripled in yep. because there's more people trying to get into the same amount of colleges. Yep. You know, yep. <clears throat> and that's, and, that's that, what... and this is privatized healthcare, you know, facilities. This isn't a school run by the state that gets yelled at by everybody when they throw their hands up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to see this competition. Is, this is a great um, argument for having a cash value life policy because it solves so many problems. Mm. It, it acts as the bridge in retirement if you're sh for a shortfall. It provides the long-term care if you need it, but it doesn't expire worthless like a long-term care policy does if you don't use it. So it's it 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 has a ton of advantages. I mean, think of it. You have a. I don't know how old your children are, but if, if you were to take out a policy at seven and nine. Okay. So if you were to take out a policy when they were in eighth grade, for example, you could conceivably have their entire um, college paid for through the cash value of your own policy without having to write a check and, and you know, lose that cash. Uh, I'm sending them to trade school anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they'll learn, they'll learn more that way. <laughs> yeah. I think everybody should have to work for a year to realize how lucky they are to be in school. It would have done, it would have done wonders for me. I would have tried a lot harder. <laughs> I, I think, I think everybody should be on the Israel thing. I think you should be forced to be in the army for two years. That'll give people a great perspective. Yeah. Well, that's like spending other people's money though. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not going, I don't have to go do that. But, uh, you know, I respect the people that do, but I, as a, but I, you know, now we're making the policies, right? <laughs> we're on the pool. Um, well, uh, Eric, so I, I mean, this is a very interesting conversation and topic. Um, you know, it's, it, we don't have enough time to get into so far into the weeds, but um, yeah. what, as I think about this too, with parents listening in on this, um, one of my greatest fears would be to be a burden on my kids. Yeah. Right. And so that's kind of what this is a strategy against because, you know, my, my, my own personal goal is to leave a legacy, right? Yep. I want to leave a cash flow machine legacy for my kids in the real estate realm. But I also, on the flip side of that, my, one of my biggest fears is because we don't know the unknown is to become a burden on them where they're not able to do the things in their life that, you know, that they need to do or should do because they're taking care of me, you yeah. know, and I don't mean just physically because I can't do anything about that, but I mean, financially, you know, and so that's always been a big why behind what, you know, my driver has been is that I want to leave a legacy, but I also don't want to be a burden to my kids. It's a and lot so, for a lot of people, a lot of people. Yeah say the same thing to me you know and we're in that kind of sandwich group right now because there's a lot of people in in my generation and that are dealing with taking care of parents and kids you know taking care of grandparents and taking care of kids and a lot of because i think a lot of people got caught in that you know the great recession and wiped out a lot of plans you know as as we dead it up and uh and now it, there hasn't been enough time to get back you know and so I think a lot of people in, in, in our age group is, are feeling that, you know, and, and starting yeah. to think about these conversations. And so um, who should come, who, who should come find you and what you're doing and where should they find you at? So um, my website uh, is a great place to start, puresurance.com. That's P-U-R-E-S-U-R-A-N-C-E. You can feel free to reach out to me at eric at puresurance.com and that's E-R-I-C. I also do webinars every Tuesday night 
on, um, on using life insurance as a retirement vehicle and talk about the privatized aspects of the life insurance policy. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, if you wanna just email me, I, can, I could just add you to the, um, to the webinar list and you'll get an invite. Um, it's, it's really interesting, it's, it's only an hour. Um, and um, always get some good insights out of there. And, and I leave you with things that you can do immediately in your day-to-day -day, uh, life to make a, an immediate, um, immediate impact on your future. You know, I know there are some big advantages in using um, privatized banking uh, and, and uh, cash value life insurance uh, policies to do those kind of things. Do you, being that you were the Wall Street guy and now you're on the other side of things, do you think that they use the uh, the insurance investing is it poor returns compared to what you could get if you did this kind of, you know, buy, buy a, a term life? Like, I really feel like there are so many, it's kind of like what we talked about earlier. Yeah. People are like, well, you could spend $3,100 and you don't have to pay for your shot, <laughs> you know, yeah. but overall, there's so much more value in being able to use that cash and use those things. And like that, they're like, but the, the Wall Street guys are kind of like, yeah, but it's going to, you know, historically they return 2% less than, you know, <laughs> than, than a 401k or something. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that, that's, that's definitely a loaded question. So let me just, yeah. let me answer the Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman um, argument first. The term. Yeah, yeah, I just, so, so, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm curious in your perspective because you've been on both sides of it. Yeah. And so I know, and I know what you're doing now. So I'm like, I'm pretty sure that, you know, you have a pretty good insight into the values of a only 2% of term policies ever pay out. It's a huge um, moneymaker for insurance companies. So that should tell you right there that the only value in a term policy, in my opinion, is if it's convertible. And it doesn't have a cash value, so it's not gonna convert any cash, but you can grandfather in your health profile from when you got the term policy. Like, let's say you got your term policy at 25 years old, you're a young married couple, and you just wanna buy some coverage in case you die for your, you know, your young family. Your health is arguably going to be better at 25 than it is at 45 or 55. If you can grandfather your health in at 25 years old, that's gonna make your permanent life insurance policy a lot less expensive. So if you are gonna buy a term policy, make sure it's a convertible term policy. The second thing is, is buy term and invest the difference. Well, here's the problem with that. Human nature says you won't invest the difference. Human nature says you're gonna spend the money right? And let's say you do, let's say you invest it. What they're not telling you is, is there's management fees in there, right? You have to pay management fees. You have to pay, um, you have inflation, you have taxes, right? So when you take all of that and you compare it to like a structured cash value life policy, I don't think that your returns are going to be any less. And the number one reason that is, is because in a cash value policy, let's just call like an indexed universal life policy that, that mirrors the S&P, get, you get stopped at zero. So if the market ever goes down in a year, you're, you're stopped at zero. So you never have to recover those losses before you can book your gains. And that in itself causes a huge amount of, um, of, of upside to you even with the cap rate on, on, um, on, a life, on an investment um, strategy and a life policy. 
I think you nailed that argument because I I know when I see these guys shilling for this thing all the time, and I know yeah. I think the biggest part of what you said is if you were to invest the difference, the majority of people will not, yeah. or they'll try to, or they'll buy stuff that they shouldn't be buying, or they they will, you know, that's why we're we're payment buyers in America, right? Yeah. Even though we don't look at a total value, and so I, I wanted to give you the opportunity to get that because I I kind of teed it up to to see what your response would be, and I. I, I completely appreciate you saying that because I know that you've been on both sides of the, of the world, right? I'm, yeah. I'm talking about those things because mm -hmm. it's like anything else. You sell what you got, right? Yeah. And so there's a lot more people that are in money management that are like, oh yeah, don't do that. Then, you know, that come back on the other side of it because, but they're just looking at a black and white, no emotion yeah. picture but it's not human tendencies of what, what the outcomes usually are, right? Right, and, and look, they're, they're talking to 75% of the population that has a cash flow problem, right? Yeah. If, you, if, if you're a household that makes over $84,000 a year, you're paying 86% of all the income generated by the United States in income taxes. So, you know, you, you have a, those people have a tax flow problem. The 75% of the people they're talking to have a cash flow problem. So. Mm -hmm it makes sense for them to max out your 401k. Yeah. But if you have a tax flow problem, it doesn't. Yeah. Right? I mean, you really, if, here's, a good, here's a good takeaway that your, that your listeners can do immediately today. Only fund a 401k up to a company match. Mm -hmm. Above that, you're, you're, not, um, you're not making an, an efficient investment. Well, that's a good part to end on, man. I appreciate it, Eric. I love the uh, I love the pulling the curtain back to to bring us in on some of those Wall Street stuff, and then uh, also about what you're doing with helping families being able to transition better, becoming privatized bankers, and they're the ones that are making the interest now instead of the uh, the the Wells Fargo's of the world. And so, yeah, um, exactly. With that, I appreciate you very much, man. I'll put the link to the show, uh, link to the website, in the show notes. And uh, with that, we're gonna head on to the high impact series. Um, so make sure you come back to check that out, Money Talkers. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at The Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kid's financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker.